Well, this morning, I want to share something that um, is just kind of an off topic, uh, not because it's a bad topic uh, or a worse topic than other ones that we've done, but because it's just a one-time message that's kind of been brewing in me uh, lately. And it, it's really, it's a call to prayer. Uh, and it's, we find it in the Old Testament, and it's, it's actually a popular prayer that you might have come across or heard people use, or sometimes it's been used um, you know, to seek the Lord for the sake of a city or a society or a culture. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12 to 15, and I want to read this. This is as if God is speaking to Israel Uh, in a moment where um, one of their kings at the time, King Solomon, had just created a temple, built a temple, dedicated it to God, and prayed. And and, and as he surrendered this to the Lord, the Lord speaks into their hearts at this moment. And this is what God says. I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people... If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place." You know, this, this weekend is Victoria Day weekend, and um, Canadians don't often remember, uh, you know, even where that's from. And we, we celebrate on Monday uh, the holiday or the birthday of a former Queen of England. Her name was Queen Victoria. She was one of the most popular queens in England's history. She ruled from 1837 to 1901 when she died. And as, uh, as one of England's most famous queen, we, you might even recognize this. People might talk about the Victorian age or Victorian influence, or if you're kind of you know, into decoration, you might know of Victorian decor or something like that. Some people love reading novels out of a, a Victorian era, right? Now, if you really dig into the history, during that time period, industrial, cultural, political, scientific, military change were happening within the United Kingdom, and it marked an era of incredible expansion, and Queen Victoria was, was uh, the Queen of England of the time. She was very involved and influential in that time. And it's interesting because people will look back to an era like that, or maybe another era, and they love to look back to, to an era and think like, I loved that place. I loved that location. I loved that vibe, that feel. I wish it could be like that. It almost felt like something was good about it. For my uncle, he loved the 50s. For some people, they loved the 80s or 90s. And if you're really long, young, maybe you just kind of loved the year 2005. I don't know. But you, we often look back to an era and, and long for it in some ways. And so this call to prayer we read in this Old Testament book has a similar feel to it. It's like God is inviting Israel to pray when they get off course to pray, say, God, heal our land or bring us back or restore us to what once was or maybe what should be. Now, since this pandemic has started, we've um, started praying every Wednesday night. And several times, uh, you know, during this season, this, this prayer in 2 Chronicles has, has come to mind, or maybe in my mind in prayer time, or maybe somebody has mentioned it to me. In fact, after a prayer, one of our prayer nights, someone actually said, this came to me while we were praying tonight. Uh, 
And I've appreciated this prayer, and I was just slowly letting it sink in. I didn't kind of jump into it too quickly. It's been six or seven weeks now, and I was wondering if it was a prayer meant for this season or not. And of course, we can pray uh, different prayers for different seasons, and they can overlap from season to seasons. But the promptings for this prayer kind of persisted and uh, kept coming back to me. And so I started to pray it, and we even focused on it one Wednesday evening in our prayer time. And it was this growing conviction that, that God um, wanted us to pray this, or at least the themes of this prayer, for the world, for the health and well-being of the world. Write this prayer, Lord, heal our land or forgive us. It's not a prayer to go back to what once was, but I hope it's a prayer for something even better than what the world was like pre-COVID-19. Now, just for a second, let's get the backstory because the context of this prayer, imagine Israel as a nation um, very influenced by God, even though now they're led by kings during this time, and they loved the land that they've been in. It was a land that God had provided for them, and God, God placed them there to flourish and to grow and to become like a blessing to the other nations around them. But if you read the Old Testament, they have a checkered past. They detour often from God's vision. And they're just coming off a pretty good era with one of their kings, King David, who was known as someone after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect. Israel wasn't perfect. But they looked at it as a good era in their history. And just off the heels of this era, David's son Solomon is now leading Israel. And he has had on his mind and his heart to build this temple for God. He longed that there would be a temple erected for God that, that the people of Israel could come to and, and really uh, get closer to God in it and through it. So he finishes this temple. He dedicates this temple. They celebrate it. They're praying and worshiping. If you read a couple of chapters earlier. Now, Solomon knows this, and he totally admits it, even as he's praying, that no temple can fit the fullness of God. Like as much as he's erected this incredible thing, it it can't possibly really fit God because God doesn't fit anywhere. He's bigger than anything. But it's this place where, where Israel can come back to God and talk to God and pray and seek forgiveness and, and find restoration when they go off course. Now, Solomon isn't naive. He knows that as much as Israel's history was checkered, in some ways their future will be checkered as well. They, they, they're going to fail. They're going to fall. They're going to sin. And so in the dedication, as he's praying, he's listing these potential issues to God. He says, well, if Israel sins or if Israel fails or if we turn away from you, God. He says, Lord, if, if the, you send us a season with less rain because we've fallen short or a famine or a plague. Lord, if, if you give us or allow for these temporary moments of discipline to draw us back to you. God, may this temple remind us that we can come to you, that we can appeal to you, that we can look to you and come back to you. And that this temple would remind them that God is ready and present to listen and respond. In fact, in this prayer, Solomon even uh, alludes to foreigners, you know, if people outside of Israel, that they didn't consider God's people would come and seek God. Solomon's saying, now, let this place be a place where anybody can come and find out who you are. And the promise is, is that God would be there for them. And so here in this moment, God responds to Solomon, the, what, what we just read in, in uh, chapter 7. And God calls Israel to prayer. And he calls Israel to this prayer 
of restoration when something gets broken down the road, of restoration when they go off course down the road, when something breaks uh, in them or around them, they can come to him and he invites them in and he calls them into this prayer. And God promises in that moment, he says, when you pray, I'm here, I'm listening, and I'm going to respond. And there's a beautiful grace in the middle of this, if, if you can just pause for a moment and think about this. I mean, Solomon already knows, and we would say the same thing, that God is bigger than any temple. Yet God says, I'll allow part of me or a sense of my presence to be in this building that can never hold me. Well, that's grace. And if we push the clock forward to when this climactic moment in God's story, God sends his only son to the world, God is not confined to human form or human flesh, yet he takes on flesh to be present for the world in Christ. That's grace. God's saying, I'm here. I'm listening. I want to respond. And God says this to them. He says, if my people, that's how he starts off. Now, he's speaking to Israel, right? Israel, if you don't know, has this special relationship with God in this season. They have a covenant relationship with God. God is committed to them. He's faithful to them. And Israel is in relationship with God. And, and so they're calling on their covenant God. He's saying, if my people. But, you know, Israel's a nation uh, like any other nation in a sense. And sometimes nations now post-Israel or post-Jesus coming will like to use this text. Often the U.S. or Britain has used this prayer and almost claimed a special relationship with God. Hey, God, we're your people. We need you. Come and help us. And, and I find that interesting. And maybe sometimes we too, we say, oh, this is God's province or God's city or Canada is the Lord's. Well, the reality is today, after Jesus came and died and resurrected and opened up a relationship, a new covenant with the world, there's no country today that is Christian or God's special country. Jesus invites the world into relationship with him. And God's new covenant is put in place so anybody, anybody we lock eyes with can put their trust in Christ, discover him, call him Lord, come into a relationship with God. So of course it begs the question, well, can nations still pray this prayer? Can we pray this prayer for Canada? Can we pray this prayer for the world? And I'd say, yes, we can. We just don't pray it with an elite status. We don't pray it with a special badge, like my nation is God's nation. But we can pray it because God invites us to pray for the healing of the nations. In fact, you go back to Genesis. When God, just even before God, uh, you know, Israel existed, God calls someone named Abraham, right? And he says, I am going to make you into a nation and I'm going to cause you to be a blessing to the nations. That was always Israel's purpose, that they would bless the nations. And so God's heart has always been for the world. And Jesus comes, he assumes Israel's vocation and opens up an invitation to the world to come know God. So we can pray this prayer on behalf of our nation because God loves all nations. We can pray this prayer on behalf of the nations of the world and every nation. And, and that's amazing when, when God says, if my people, this is an invitation to pray for the world. But it it's also has a, kind of a, a special invitation too because it, he says, if my people who are called by my name, this gets really personal. See, because this could apply to anyone 
right now who has a relationship with God through Christ. Again, Jesus fulfills Israel's purpose of, of, of being God's people, and then, then others come into God's family. And just like Israel was called by God, anyone who comes to Christ is called by God. And so a temple isn't needed to get to know God. It actually never was needed. It's amazing. Right here in this verse, God says, if my people who are called by my name would come and pray, God says, I would hear from heaven. He doesn't say, uh, I'm sitting in the temple waiting, and as you knock on the door, I can hear you. No, he says, I hear from heaven. I hear from my space, my realm. So God was always available to people. And we see it so much more clear today because of Jesus, because Jesus fulfilled the temple and fulfilled the Torah and fulfilled the tabernacle and fulfilled Israel's vocation. And this is, so, this is good news for you and me. You know why? Because we're all on the internet right now. We're not in a temple. In fact, I know I'm speaking from our location in Point Claire, but I'm not in a temple. I'm in a building. And when we come and gather in this space, and I hope we get to do that soon one day, we come and we gather as God's people, and we invite others to come and, and listen and learn openly. And God works. In fact, one of the promises in the New Testament is that those who come to Christ become the temple of God's Spirit. So that's good news, because wherever we are, wherever you're sitting right now, God can work in your life and your heart. So we have this personal invitation to pray this prayer and to long for its promise, right? The promise is that God would forgive, that God would heal. In other words, that God would bring restoration to what is broken, relationally, emotionally, physically, the brokenness of the world. God wants to restore it. You know, if we look around today, I mean, it's not hard. We didn't need COVID-19 to tell us that there's a longing for deliverance in people's lives and hearts. We didn't need this pandemic to take place to, let it, to, to tell us that people are longing for healing in parts of their lives. We, don't need, we didn't need this pandemic to tell us that parts of the world are broken. This pandemic is maybe highlighting it or revealing some of this or bringing some things to the surface. We long for restoration. But of course, in the season we're in, we also long for other kinds of restoration. I bet you we're praying that restrictions would be lifted, that a vaccine would be discovered by scientists and doctors as quick as possible, that, that provision and the ability to work would come back quicker than, 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 you know, than, than maybe some are anticipating because people long to work and, and, and need to and need provision. And we have this opportunity as the church in this moment, we can stand in the gap for the world in the middle of this pandemic. And we can say, God, will you come? Yes, forgive, because people need forgiveness. And also heal, because we need a healing touch. This world needs restoration. And we can stand in the gap on behalf of the world, and we can pray for healing, and we can pray for restoration. And it's not just on behalf of the world. We're in the world. We're longing for this. But I want us to just understand something as we're praying for this promise, as we're praying for God to bring healing. If we want to claim this promise, we must adopt its posture. Think about that for a second. If we want to claim this promise, we must adopt its posture. 
See, this prayer is not a prayer for justice. God is not saying, come to me because you've been ill-treated or because someone's against you. Come and pray for justice. No, this prayer is a prayer for mercy because Israel realizes that in that moment or in that moment that could come down the road, they would have gone off. They would have rebelled against God. They would have sinned or turned away from him. And so it's a prayer for pardon. It's a prayer for mercy. And if Israel's going to pray this prayer, it's because they know that they're in the wrong. They know that they've wronged God. And they need healing just as much as the nations need healing. And we need healing just as much as the nations need healing. And here's this posture. Because if we're going to claim the promise, we must adopt its posture. And the posture is this. God says, if my people called by my name, and he says these four things, will humble themselves, first thing, that they will humble themselves, that they would come down. We sang it earlier, right? Come down and bow before me. That, that posture, that, that, that position, that action of bowing is an action of humility, an action of surrender. Jesus demonstrates humility incredibly when he comes and takes on human form and becomes obedient to death on a cross and the apostle paul says imitate the humility of jesus here in this text here's the first of four parts of this posture god says humble yourselves come humbly before me then he says and pray or some versions say plead or ask or appeal god is saying come hungry before me what, and come longing for me to do something and pray and seek that. So humble ourselves and pray. And then he says, and seek my face and look towards God. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But then the fourth thing he says, that we would turn from our wicked ways, that we would repent, that we would change. See, God is saying, if my people who are, who are called by my name, if you want to get to this place where you see healing and restoration, I, I, I'm, I want to give you this promise, but will you adopt this posture of humility and prayer and seeking my face and turning from your wicked ways? If we're going to pray this prayer and claim this promise, we must be willing to adopt its posture. Posture and promise. Both those things are important See, God's desire for Israel was always in them first, that the heart of Israel, that the soul of Israel, that the shape of who they were as a people would be transformed, would, that they would reflect God's heart, and then an outflow, an overflow, an outward focus. So when we pray this prayer, when I, as I'm inviting all of us to do this, this prayer is meant to change us first. It's meant to change me first. It's meant to change you first and then to change the world around us. So I want to call us to prayer. This prayer has been brewing in my heart for seven or eight weeks now, and it's come across, um, you know, my thoughts, my reading, our prayer times, other sources. And I want to call us to prayer and specifically in the posture of this prayer. I think it's so vital for us. Our world needs it. And God is inviting us to pray on behalf of the world. Now, here's what I want to invite you to do. Because uh, I, you know, I'm not sure what you're reading these days in the scriptures. 
I'm not sure uh, what your rhythm of prayer is like. I'm going to trust that you're engaging um, spiritual practices, that you're you know, you're, you're, you're engaging these spiritual practices surrendered by the Holy Spirit that are nurturing your relationship with God and the transformation of your heart and life. We talk about this often at Westside. These spiritual practices like reading scripture and prayer, uh, coming together as a church body, worship, uh, confession, you know, service, things like this. And back, in fact, if you, if you just need some help with this, back in January, we walked through a five-week series on some of these practices. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. But here, here's what I'm asking you. I trust that, that, that you're doing this. I hope that you're in the scriptures every day. I hope that you're spending time with God every day. And without getting into how to do that and whatever, and I've, we've talked about that in other times, I want to ask you this question. How are you doing it? Not the how, like the time of the day and how much time and what are you reading, but your posture. Because I have a sense that this call that we, we hear from the scripture today is Jesus says, hey, if my, if my people come to me, come to me in this way. And so think about this. Is your posture when you seek the Lord, when you're reading the scriptures, when you're actually listening today and, and connected with us as a body of Christ on the internet today, is your posture a posture of humility? As I'm speaking, is my posture a posture of humility? So are, are we humble when we, when we engage these spiritual practices? Are we prayerful or dependent or hungry when we read the scriptures and spend time with God? And then that third one, right? Are we seeking his face? Think about that. Right now, as we're gathering together, are you seeking God's face? Am I seeking God's face? And this is, this is what this means because the, the, the Hebrew word could also be translated as look into God's face. This gave this real personal aspect of what was happening at the time, what they were, what, what their view of God and their understanding of the relationship with him. So to seek his face is to look at his face. Now, you're looking at me right now, right? Just keep looking at me. Cool. Hi. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to turn to your left and look to your left. Perfect. Now, what do you see? What do you, I don't know. You see a wall, a window, maybe somebody else in the room, a lamp, I don't know, that piece of art you wish you changed three years ago. So keep looking, keep looking to your left, whatever you're looking at. You know what's happening right now? You're not looking at me because you're looking there. Now, turn back to me. Cool, how's it going? Awesome. So now you're looking at me. You know what else you're not doing? You're not looking at whatever you were looking at before. When we seek the Lord's face, right? When we look at God's face, we are looking towards him, which means that we're looking away from whatever else we were looking at. That's, that's the posture. This posture is that we look away from this other stuff that clamors for our attention. We look away for the other stuff that tries to give our life meaning. We look away from the things that, that were part of our lives before Christ, and we look towards the face of God. And in his face, we see his face smiling at us. Read some of the Psalms and prayers of Israel. That's a backdrop for this. When you see God's face, God's face is filled with his vision for your life. 
He's looking at you and he's smiling at you and he's saying, I have a vision for you if you would catch it. I have a kind of life for you if you would embrace it. If you keep looking at me, you're going to see the vision for your life. It's a life of flourishing. It's a life of hope. It's a life of transformation. It's a life without pretense. It's a life of freedom. And when you look at his face, you see the life he calls you to. So when you read scripture tomorrow, when you pray, as we engage in this gathering, seek the face of God. And then the last posture, whenever you engage spiritual practices, turn from your wicked ways, right? That's a repentance. That means change. That means literally I'm going to now go this way. I'm going to change direction. I'm going to act in a different way. I'm going to walk in a new path. Now, in the middle of this pandemic, we don't want to go back to normal. Come on, be honest. If you're really honest with yourself, most of us really don't want things to go back to normal. I mean, we want to be able to drive and hang out with friends and um, be in a public space. But do we really want the way the world works or the way culture works or the restless striving of our society, the impatient relationships, the fearful, in fear-induced prejudices, the envious greed or envious discontentment. Do we want to go back to that? No. The invitation is when we engage the scriptures, when we engage God, when we engage in prayer, that we would turn, that we would be repentant, that we would walk in new ways. And so I'm calling us as we pray, as we grow in prayer, as we engage the Lord to this posture in our spiritual walk, in our spiritual practices, in our spiritual life. Because here's the thing, this invitation from God is not just to heal the nations. It's to heal the church. It's not just to heal the world. It's to heal you and me. As we pray for the healing of our nation, I want us to pray for the healing of our church. I want us to pray for the heart of our church, what it means to be God's people. And these postures have something to do with it. And we might want to jump this step and say, God, just fix everything. But God's inviting us to a humility, to a hunger, to a looking at him, to a repentance. And as we claim this promise of restoration for the world, and we can, we can pray this for the nations. We can pray this for our province. Let's pray for the world. Let's pray for a vaccine to be found. Let's pray for that. But let's adopt this posture of restoration for ourselves and for the church. Because that's where God wants to work. God wants to reclaim us. God wants to restore us. God wants us to be transformed. And here's the beautiful thing. As we do this, as we do this, and I'm going to wrap up with this, we discover who God is. We discover who God is. And they caught a glimpse of that even in this, even in this season of Israel's life because God says to them, if you pray and you seek my face and you come and he says, I will, what does he say? I will hear from heaven. That short little three-word phrase, hear from heaven, gives us a beautiful description of God right? Who is God? He's powerful. 
He's not the God that just sits in the temple. He's a God that hears from heaven. He's in his realm. He's in his space. That's where his kingdom fully reigns. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God, in your space. God is powerful. God is incredible. God is awesome. God is strong. And so God is a God in heaven, in his space, who is all powerful. But did you, but the first word, he hears from heaven. God is personal. And even in this invitation from God, he says he hears and he sees and he listens and we can seek his face, right? So as we come to this, we discover who God is. He's a powerful God, but he's also a personal God. One author says it this way. He says, God is not merely loving, but powerful. So we cannot become falsely familiar God is not merely powerful, but loving, so we can relax and be confident. We serve a God who is incredibly great and glorious, but we serve a God who is so wonderfully good. We serve a God who is incredibly powerful, but a God who is so intimately personal. That's the God we serve, and that's the God we discover, and that's the God who invites us into these postures and he confidently says, come, pray. Pray and claim this promise. Pray for the healing of the nations. So let's pause and pray today. Our Heavenly Father, <laughs> oh God, I pray that we would discover your glorious nature and your good nature. That we would discover how powerful you are and how personal you are. Oh God, let us not forget your power and become falsely familiar with you. Yet let us not forget your love because you call us to rest in you and be confident in you. Help us to discover who you are. And we're grateful for this invitation, really this call. God, it's an imperative call to us today that we can stand in the gap and pray for the healing of our world and the nations. God, we, we do. We pray right now for the healing of our world. We pray for the restoration of our world. We pray, God, for your Holy Spirit to go out into this world and to restore. We pray, God, for leaders around the world that are trying their best. And yes, some are tripping over their own sin and their own um, selfish desires. So we pray against that. God, we pray for leaders. We pray for those involved in finding a vaccine. We pray for wisdom in those in the economy. We pray for that because we pray for, the, for, for healing, Lord. But God, we pray for more than that. We pray that the world would come to discover who you are that the world would dis come discover your power and your, and your love. We pray for forgiveness. Oh God, where we fall short. And may we, by the power of your Holy Spirit, become people of humility, people who hunger after you and pray, people who seek your face and look to you, and people who turn from our wickedness and repent and walk in new ways. Oh, God, would you restore us? Would you restore your church? 
would you restore West Side? Would you restore your church around the world? And may it overflow, and may the world be impacted. We pray that you would restore and heal and call. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.